Welcome everyone to Authors on the Air. I'm your host, Pam Stack, also known as a cat wrangler and a book junkie. With me today is one of my favorite authors, Scarlett St. Clair. She writes the most fantastical, magical, wonderful fantasy, kind of a little paranormal, kind of a little supernatural, but I have her books right here, two of her books, because she's got a lot of them. The Queen of Myth and Monsters and the ones that follow that is the battle and is battle and blood. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. (laughs) I'm so happy that you're here. And we talked a little bit in the green room. Um, I know that you don't like to do interviews unless someone has read your (laughs) books. And you know something? I think that's really good because I've listened to interviews where you know the host has no clue what what their guest has really written about. And you kind of have to wing it. Well, you don't have to wing it today. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. I love it. I do. I I, I, uh, as I told you, I think it's just important to, to have genuine conversation. And I don't think, um, you know, I, I, part of me is I don't care how many readers you have. If you haven't read my books, how are we going to engage with your, with your audience if, if we're right. not having a genuine conversation? So, yeah. So I gave that rule to my publicist when I came on to Bloom and she has upheld it. And she has <laughs> you said that in, in her email to me, she said, you, but you have to read the books. And I said, hello, I'm the one asking you for that. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I know. I think that's so funny. Um, I, as I had said, I, I think I've done one interview where someone has not read my book. And I, th- I feel like it's such a challenge to, um, it's just such a, we, it, I don't know. It almost, I hate to say this. It almost feels like a waste of time. Sure. And um, that's, and it's just because it's, 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 um, disingenuous. I don't like it, but you don't have I appreciate to it. You don't have yeah, anything no. to talk about. Yeah. I remember, actually, I remember the interview and the one thing I could tell she hadn't read my books at all because by the time we got to that, that interview was very awkward. And by the time when we got to something she absolutely loved to talk about, which was, I read a lot of Regency and Highlander romance. She was ecstatic and that's all she wanted to talk about. And I was like, you know, in some ways, I don't like I thought, that. <laughs> yeah, like I didn't come on here to do this. Was not the purpose of the interview. Right. So, so I knew, you know. So I, I, yeah, it was interesting. But yeah, that's that's hilarious that she said that. <laughs> well, let's move forward. So, because there are so many things I want to talk to you about, you have written so I don't even know how many books. Because when I went to look the way they Amazon redesigned it, I'm like counting up. You've got what twenty books now under your belt. <laughs> No, not that much. Not that many. You're probably seeing some foreign editions on there. Um, oh, maybe that's what it is. I think Queen of Myth and Monsters, when it was released, was my eighth book. Yeah. So, um, do you have another series in there too? Or yeah, I have. It? I technically have three series. I have King of Battle and Blood. Um, right. Then I have um, a, a Touch of Darkness, which is a Greek mythology series. The companion series is called the Haiti saga and then I have a one YA book called when stars come out um and then a couple of other things coming down the pipeline but I want to talk about your background because you um studied library science were you intending to be a librarian no no it's so funny Uh, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've been asked to come back to my system and give the keynote speech for OLA MPLA which is our library association but no, I, um, so I went to college. I was a Gates Millennium Scholar, and I don't know if you're familiar with that. Congratulations. But, um, 
Thanks. Yeah. They, uh, my year, I, I graduated in 2008 and my year they chose a thousand students out of 13,000 who applied. And my branch was the Native American, like American Indian Graduate Center. And uh, under that scholarship, you get 10 years of college paid for, 10 years of unmet need. Uh, save my life, essentially, you know, uh, let me leave my small town and, and go to college. And I could major in anything as my bachelor's degree, which I chose English writing. And um, at that point, I, I was like, I could go get a master's, but it had to be in something specific. And the only thing that made sense to me was library science. I had no idea what I was going into at all. And uh, the funny thing is, though, I found such a passion for libraries and everything that they do, and it changed my whole life. And I can see how everything I learned as a librarian fed into what I chose to do as an author. Uh, so it was definitely like the foundation of how I started to think critically about how readers read and how they would search for my books. Um, and, and that's sort of, I believe that's a huge part of my success as an author. Well, it's absolutely true. Uh, it kind of reminds me of someone opening a small boutique and and your boutique is your book. But if you keep the brown paper over the window and never tell anyone, then you're not going to sell your book. So you having an idea what draws readers in is so important. Uh, and so kudos to you for thinking that far ahead. Now, I want to you I want to backtrack because I mentioned to you this when we were in the green room and you just said it now. You have a Native American background. Can you tell us a little bit about that and which tribe you are associated with? Yeah, I'm a member of the Muscogee Nation. Um, so we're we're kind of in eastern Oklahoma. Um, our tribe is like headquarters is in a place called Omolgi, a place called Omolgi. No one can pronounce any of these names. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's interesting. I, um, I, I, the Queen of the Monsters, just this, just the series in general deals heavily sort of in the exploration of my relationship with my tribe, because I obviously present white and there's a lot of racism within the tribe and outside of the tribe. And um, at the end of the day, you know, uh, being Native American in America and just anywhere, um, we, we aren't respond we, we aren't that's responsible for our colonization, right? We're not responsible for the systematic destruction of our culture. Uh, so when you get to this point where you feel like you sort of don't fit in on either side, it's, it's a huge struggle to understand what your identity should be. So I've done a lot of, a, really a lot of soul searching the last two years about this. And I remember when I came on to Bloom and my publicist said, you're a Native American, why aren't you putting that in your bio? And I was so uh, hesitant to do it because I had a huge fear over identifying as indigenous when I didn't look indigenous. And I said, you know, I have to talk to my sister because you know, my sister, my sister looks like I do, you know, but she's always worked for the tribe. Uh, she's worked for the tribe for a long time. And she just has always been comfortable identifying as Muskogee. And I, and she said, she told me, she said, you know, you have the opportunity to draw a lot of positive attention to our tribe and, you know, you should be proud of, of who you are and where you came from. Um, so we, we, so I said, yes, okay, we'll do this. And so it's been this, it's been this huge exploration of, of why I'm so fearful of 
just embracing and and being and and being pr- I am proud of my nation. It's the fear of people not believing me, and it, it happens. Even you know, I've had people in this in our industry ask, you know, if they're sure I'm really native, right? Because apparently, a lot of they say a lot of people claim to be indigenous. Uh, so you know, you you kind of get your you get your feelings hurt a lot sure, because I imagine. You, yeah, so because you, you have an identity, you know, and it's funny because I was thinking about it, like, as a child, I didn't grow up any different than any other Native kid, right, in, in Oklahoma. We weren't a reservation when I was younger, but recently Oklahoma has become reservation land. Um, but we, you know, we all did the same things. We all waited like all day to get commodities. That's like behind the smoke shop. And our favorite like food was the commodity cheese. <laughs> you know, like we all went to, we all went to Creek Nation Head Start at the time. It was called Creek Nation. Uh, we, the Muskogee Nation has, has dropped their branding of Creek because it's a colonization. It's a word from our colonizers um so you know we we've all we all sort of had the same experiences and the same background and we all have the the same health issues and the same socioeconomic challenges and and uh, that's what makes us a tribe and uh not our skin color and it, it's just it was an interesting thing you know t- to go through so i people, appreciate people don't asking. understand recessive genes you know you're not gonna, <laughs> you're not gonna be some indian looking person on television or movies or whatever someone else's perception is you are who yeah. you are and i'm so glad <laughs> that you you say that i think it's really important and it was really important for me to bring that up because m- more and more i think those of us who read i'd like to think are a little bit more savvy than people who don't read so we're we i'm looking for different voices other than my own when i'm reading i want to know how you storytell and let's face it our indigenous tribes are storytellers oh yeah first and foremost before anyone else and then you know maybe in the south we have storytellers too but it's interesting to me to have a pov from someone who is indigenous versus me who's i'm only the third generation to be here my grandparents came from poland lithuania so my parents were actually the first fully american born on american soil and then it's my brothers and i so i'm a second generation uh person you know and yeah, so yeah. versus our our native indigenous cultures who are fascinating did any of your your growth in the in your community contribute to your desire to storytell you know i think um i think what contributed to my desire to tell stories was escapism in my household which i wouldn't categorize as abusive um but you know, kind of fraught with some really difficult things. My mom is bipolar, you know, and she, I talk about this and when stars came out, like she, she just, you just never knew when, when she was, what she was going to do, like when she would become angry. Yeah. And so I, I kind of needed to channel that into, um, into, to, to, to some sort of escape. I think the beautiful thing about it is when I started uh, writing, I started writing because I read uh, The Lord of the Rings and I just loved, you know, I didn't realize we could create other worlds. And um, at that point, and 
my dad was so supportive of it. And my dad is the, my, of my two parents, my dad is, is Muskogee. And he was so supportive to the point that when I asked him, I was very young, I, I asked him if elves were real and he said yes. And I just remember that being just, it was so monumental and so important to me that he could validate my imagination. Um, and he wasn't like some parents who say, you know, uh, don't go into writing. There's no money in that. He always said, you're going to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, and he was well, right. Wow. He was so right. So. But that's, so, <laughs> that's so cool for a parent because now, you know, my nephew is a, uh, in New York pursuing theater. And, oh, you know, my, my, my brother and sister-in-law were very supportive of him, but they also said, you know what, just don't just go get a college degree in theater, in the arts, if that's what you want to do. And we support him a hundred percent. And he's very talented. So I have to say, I just recently saw him on his stage debut in New York. So, uh, you know, so to have that parental push or Mm -hmm. anyone in your family giving you that push, that has to really make a big difference versus someone saying, Oh my God, do do you know what the chances are? And so on and so forth. Go do something else instead. I'm sure you heard it a hundred times. Oh, I have. Yeah. But you know, so I'm glad that you, you went on, which is your very first published book? My very first published book is actually, um, was actually a book I wrote in 2014 under a different name. Um, which I don't talk about it very much because that was my first, uh, I I felt like that was my trial and error phase and I learned everything that I would do right the next time. So I I typically say when stars come out is my, was my first published book because that's the book where I, you know, I had taken a break from trying to get published. I had learned a lot about myself and what I wanted out of this. Uh, I felt like the traditional world initially, because, you know, I came from self-publishing, came from successful self-publishing. And I realized that the process of trying to get an agent and a publisher was just stealing my joy completely. And I was like, you're not going to get anywhere if you're miserable anyway. So why don't Mm. you just be happy, write the books and see what comes of it. So when I went into writing, when stars come out, I had this beautiful, just whatever happens, happens, you know. And uh, that about that time when I finished, I thought you can you can go in two directions. You can write the sequel to When Stars Come Out, or you can write A Touch of Darkness. And I just felt really really good about A Touch of Darkness. I had wanted to write about Hades and Persephone for years. I love Greek mythology, um, and I did it. And then the rest was a very quick rise to this. <laughs> it's very but surreal. You know, I, I'm so impressed by that because it, and I shouldn't be because your writing is just exceptional. As I Thank told you. you in the green room, I, I read a lot of fantasy and paranormal supernatural. It's it's truly one of my favorite genre, probably right now my most favorite genre to read in. Um, and yeah I I am not real good with mythology but mm-hmm you kind of bring it alive a little bit in your book. So I feel like I've learned from you also. Oh, thank you. And, yeah. And I mean, I'm sure at some point in some schooling that I had, we went over it. I remember we did, you know, I know we did, mm-hmm. but you, you never know where that's going to come up again, unless you have a particular bent toward. I never did, but I want to talk about the queen of myth and monsters because 
The story is mind-boggling to me. It's the story of Isolde, or Isolde, however you choose to pronounce it. And she is the queen. She's coronated queen. In, and there's a lot of problems in her court, in her domain, in her realm. And so will you pick up the story a little bit and tell us just an overview what happens until she meets Adrian? Yeah, well, in King of Battle and Blood, um, I suppose we can start there because I okay. don't know how many people have read it. But okay. um, I, I think her thing is that for for Isolde, she has this idea of what her life will look like. She's very, right. She has a very ideal look, which is she will be the first queen of the nine houses. And uh, when Adrian arrives and decides he wants a wife, um, it, it turns on its head. Yeah, Cordova. I love, I love I love that. Um, yeah, I love the map. It's great. Thank you. I um, I have I can tell you some stories about the maps. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then so so then I think KBB is her struggling with her identity, and Queen of Myth and Monsters is sort of coming to terms with who she was um, in her past life, and right. how how does she reconcile? Does she reconcile those two people? Does she try to embody? one for Adrian's sake and she's the one who's worried about that most um but I liked the my big thing for her is the duality of her power um where you know it comes from magic but also um you know her title and yes. and and which you know which which is going to sort of can she use them together which is going to prevail um it's and then and she can't trust anyone in this in this book and so I think I thought at first she would become closer to Adrian, uh, but she, I think instead she becomes progressively isolated. The thing about Queen of Myth and Monsters that I did not realize, it was a very difficult book to write. Um, I think that just like everyone else who read it, uh, who, who started with KVB, they had a very different idea of what would happen in Queen of Myth and Monsters. Right. So, so everybody understands well. this is KBB. This is yeah, sorry. <laughs> so you know, yeah. and then this is QMM. So just so yeah. you know. <laughs> it's so much easier to not say the whole title. <laughs> that's so, okay. Yeah. Um, I think people thought it was going to go very differently, and I did too. Um, so that was a very difficult. Um, it, it was I had to come to some. I, I, I think sometimes readers think we're torturing you intentionally, but I had to come to terms with where this story went to, and it was very difficult for me. And the whole reason I struggled to write it is because I didn't want it to go the, down the path it was going. But in a lot of ways, I felt like I was being told this story, and this is the story that had to be told. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a challenge for sure. <laughs> so do you consider... Um... Do you consider um, King of Battle and Blood to be book one? Yes. Uh-huh. And mm -hmm. and Queen of Myth and Monsters is book two. Uh-huh. Would there yeah. be a book three? Yes. Because there yes. certainly is plenty of room for it. The, yes. <laughs> the relationship between Isolde and Adrian has changed so much from, from the first book because she's not sure she's going to live. You know, this is this is a really <laughs> difficult time for her. I mean, you've put her in a perilous position, not only personally, but for the realm and mm -hmm. and because of Adrian. And then they kind of sort of have a resolution, but then they don't because there's so mm -hmm. much darkness going on. There are so many conflicting battles happening that 
I almost think maybe a trilogy. Yeah, yes. The third book is called Kingdom of Spirit and Shadow. And I don't know if it'll be KSS. any longer than that. Yeah, KSS, right? Um, so I, I knew I was going to have to release the title as soon as, like, I released it within a week of Queen, Queen of the Monsters because I knew people were going to be very upset with me. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I there has to be. There's a lot to, to unpack. And I think the hard part when you write fantasy romance is that you, um, you know, you are trying to balance what it means to be a redeeming morally gray character. Yes. Um, and I feel like, you know, you also have to have a happy ending. And for Adrian, he's not, to me, as the author of this series, he's not redeeming in his current state. Right. Um, I so, agree with you. Yeah, so I don't I trust to, him yet. I don't no, trust him yet. <laughs> you know, it's so difficult. It's like, um, and I'm not someone who, I, I'm not an author, you know, because Adrian's being controlled slowly by Dis. And I'm not someone who will give that, that's not an out for his behavior. He no, has no, to agree. still, yeah, he he's, still has he's to He's got to take it from up here and right here. Yes. And, and raise yes. himself out of it and, yes. and risk some some consequences, risk yes. some losses. So yes. I agree with you. <laughs> I, I agree with you 100%. I, you know, I'm ambivalent about him at the moment, but I, I do think that every character, unless they're just, you know them as pure evil, but I do believe that every, every character has some redeeming qualities and it's up to mm -hmm. them to pull those qualities out and i agree i think they uh, to me i feel like at the end of queen you have no clue how you feel about anyone you're so conflicted right. well even as sold you don't know you know, i know you're not, you're not even sure really really is something is she going to do something to change my perception and that is the beauty of your writing though scarlet is that it's I mean, I I read these books fairly fast for me. I, I admit that I went back and read pages again because your prose is beautiful. And you. You know, just the narrative writing of it all that I envision the world so clearly. And um, that doesn't always happen. Uh, you Thank have a lot you. of depth to your characters and all. But but I had a lot of conflicts, conflicting thoughts about your two main characters. And mm -hmm. I'm glad to hear that you do too. So, <laughs> so when you're, you know, you're going to write the next book, KSS. And mm -hmm. um, do you know how it's going to resolve? Do you know what repercussions of actions from Isolde and from Adrian are going to be yet? Or will you know once you sit down and start writing? I know where I want to go. And I usually do. I will say, though, I, I thought I knew that in Queen of Myth and Monsters, and then I started writing, and it did not go how I thought. And in some ways, I was very devastated. I do think that what I believe to be happening in, King, in Kingdom will actually, I will see through. Um, I, I want, I'm, I'm going to put Adrian into, into a role that's sort of based on mythology. A, a, I won't say who, because... 
I think it'll spoil it, but it's typically held by a woman. And so I think it will be interesting to force him to do, to put into, to go into this role that uh, is, that a, that a, a goddess usually goes through. Right. And um, that, that will be his way to redemption. But um, I'm, a, I'm more, I'm kind of, I think it's interesting. I feel like uh, it's, I think it, I think sometimes readers think that authors are very ignorant about how, you know, how their characters act in their worlds. And I'm very much not, but I think that, I think that the way that both Adrian and Zold's act in their world is so true to how anyone would act in a world like Cordova. Well, um, that's what I was saying to you. This feels, yeah. it could be very topical. It mm -hmm. could be very in this moment right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, so begs the question, do, do people really, generations change? And, and I don't know that they do. I think that they have their... I think people are very insane. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, too. Yeah. You know, that it's, you have your own insecurities, your own desires, your own thoughts, and, you know, your own wants. Maybe, you know, you don't want, you're not going to be the queen of a realm or you know the king of the vampires but you're you have a goal for yourself it mm -hmm. doesn't change i think basic desires and needs and wants don't necessarily change i'm not talking mm -hmm. about materialistically it's no I, I agree i think that's why mythology is so relevant still yes. right we can see modernity in in mythology absolutely I use Greek mythology as an example all the time but um and in such stark ways it's 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 sort of scary how i think Human nature does not, change. does not change. We are we have the same behaviors constantly. I agree. You know? I agree with you. So, <laughs> do you think that you will go beyond three books, or will you try to wrap at a trilogy and move on to a new set of books? I definitely will try. I don't know until I write it. Honestly, I um, Queen was really fast. And I've seen some people say they felt like it was rushed, but I think that it, it maybe feels rushed because there's, I don't give you any breathing room. But well, exactly. war, That's my thought. Right? Was, it's, I want to get to the end. <laughs> yeah. That does not mean that it was rushed. It means that it was just page after page of information and reading and pleasure and what's next. Oh my God, what's going to happen next? And if a, a writer can do what's going to happen next in a reader's mind, you're a winner. I mean, I felt like it? I was like, I've done my job. Yes. <laughs> you know, you really uh, have. Even I, the, the beautiful thing about Queen of Myth and Monsters, I've had some conversations in my group. I have a reader group called Cult of Scarlet. And the, the, I, I watched them process their feelings over this book in such a funny, like beautiful way. And they, what they did, they said is that it made them have to face things about themselves they didn't yeah. want to. And yeah. if I can do that as an author, I feel like I have, I have succeeded. Like if you feel, if you find your power reading this series, like you've, over, you've overachieved because yeah. <laughs> your, your role is to entertain. But if somebody takes something even more personal in that, you're now an overachiever. So good for you. <laughs> I love, I do. I appreciate that. I, I think it's, I, I, you know, I think I wrote, I say I aspire to be as old, but I aspire to be unapologetic, I think. And when you're born into like poverty as I was, or, you know, you're, you're a member of the BIPOC community or, 
you know, you're an immigrant, you're from an immigrant family. Sure. I think we constantly face this, this will and this, we have this deep will to survive. Right. Yes. Um, and we feel like we have to apologize for everything as a woman too. And yes. I want to be unapologetic. <laughs> I don't blame you. You are tossed a lot more challenges. Well, first as a woman, but also as an indigenous people, you will face a lot of challenges that are that are beyond your control in some ways, but others people are kind of tossing on you one on top of the other. And so the, the, you know, I guess the measure of success is to be unapologetic and to just succeed. Yeah. To just it's succeed. so true. You know, <laughs> the, the, you, it, when you win, you, you know, when you won because you've gotten past all that and you've gotten to where you wanted to be. Even if the next part of your life means more books, more success, more recognition, and that's fine. But I have to congratulate you on just, first of all, all you've gone through and where you are now. But second of all, I love your work. I will Thank be reading you. it again. And I hope when KSS comes out, you're going to come back to Other Worlds, the new the new show. Yeah, I and definitely you, will. I love be that. my debut my debut guest if you have to for whenever your whenever your book comes out. I will make a big hoopla out of it. I totally will. <laughs> tell everyone where your favorite place is to post on social media. I am very active on my Instagram and you can find me at author Scarlett St. Clair. Um, I also have a newsletter that I like to give just special things to my subscribers and you can find that um, via the link in my bio on my Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, but let me ask you one question. Do you, are you a reader yourself? Do you have people's books sitting on your nightstand? Oh, I am. Yes. I, Who have you got? I, <laughs> I uh, right now I have Laura Thalassa's, uh, I have an arc of Laura Thalassa's Bewitched, um, and I'm very excited to dive in. I, pr I probably won't make it until I finish A Game of Gods, but uh, she's one of my favorites, and it, I will read any, absolutely any Regency or Highlander romance there is. Like, that is my, that is my jam. <laughs> It's so interesting to me because I don't know the difference between Regency and historical and Victorian and all that. And it never was in my wheelhouse. And it still isn't. Not that there aren't great books. I know that there are. So, and Highlander, is that also kind of more historical or the more yeah. current? Yeah. The it's like Scottish. Yeah. I mean, right, you right. could have more current. It People do these time been like time traveler ones. Right, but right. My I'll tell my first one, which if you want to pick up your first Regency romance, <laughs> The Madness of Lord Ian McKenzie by Jennifer Ashley was my first okay. uh, romance. You have to and send me an email with that because I'm not I will, I will. The yeah. main character or the main love interest has Asperger's syndrome. And I have never read uh, and see and I that's how them. I think that's what I think about rom romance is so diverse. It's so progressive and it's been doing the work that other genres have failed to do for years. Yeah. I, I agree with you. We actually have a podcast called writing while handicapped. Of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> it's Love about, it. you know, anyone who has a can handicap while they write the host, it has a mild form of, um, uh, Cerebral palsy, but he's yeah. written two award-winning books. Wow. He is a pop culture junkie. He can talk to you about 
any music, anything that's going on culturally. He's a political whiz and he's fantastic. So he wants to talk to anybody who had like a lot of writers are dyslexic. And so he wants to talk to those. Uh, um, A lot of them uh, have characters who are on the spectrum or have Asperger's or have other challenges. He's fantastic. He's a great interviewer. I love talking to him. Yeah. So, you know, we we try to cover all the tracks there. You do. You really do. I love it. (laughs) Thank you. And you and I, we're going to talk again soon. I want to thank you so much. The books are Queen of Myth and Monsters and King of Battle and Blood. If you love fantasy, if you love mythology, you're going to love these books and you're going to love Scarlet St. Clair. Thank you for being with me, darling. Thank I'm you. so happy that we got a chance to talk and I Thanks. did read the books. So you can go you back can. and help him. <laughs> okay. Thank you for being with me, everybody. And thank you, mom and dad. I'll see you later.